And again, thank you all for being here today. And with this new series called Reckless, uh, let me read, uh, just read a little something that, about this series. When you read about the people of faith in the Bible, we are inspired by them. But when you look at the decisions they made in the actual circumstances, we see that they're actually flat out reckless in their choices. Some would say even foolish. In this series, we are going to analyze what walking in faith really looks like and how to take action without looking back. And as a question to open up for today's message, I want you to ask yourself, is your faith something to stand up for? Is your faith something to stand up for? Maybe we can all agree that in general, faith is something to stand up for. But what about you specifically? Do you feel like your faith is something so strong, something so deep that you would stand up for it? Do you really feel compelled to make a stand for your individual faith? And I thought of a perfect uh, way to start this series. And with all the different characters that we could look at when it comes to taking steps and actions of faith. I mean, when I'm talking about being reckless, I'm talking about stories like David. When he goes out to face Goliath, that's a really dumb decision. He's completely uh, not qualified in his physical being, in his experience, in any way was he skilled to go out and do that. It was just a really dumb decision. When you look at Abraham, when he believed that God told him to move away from his home country uh, to a place that he has not known and to take his family with him. At first glance, it's like, oh, okay, cool. But think about the discussions he had or the conversations he's had with the people that knew him. So you're going to just leave? Why? Well, I just really feel like God told me to, to move. Well, where are you going to go? Well, God hasn't really told me that yet. Okay, so like, you don't know really where you're going? You're just going to just start walking? Yeah, pretty much. And I just imagine like how all the people around him that maybe even have believed in God too and said, God doesn't operate out of confusion like that. God would tell you where you're going. That's not you. You're listening to the wrong voice. And yet Abraham was, is justified thousands of years later when he's known as the father of our faith. But at the time, it was a really reckless decision. I mean, I can imagine the conversations with just him and his wife. Like, are you sure about this? <laughs> you, you really think that we need to just start going? We're really comfortable here. Yeah, I think this is what we need to do. And it shows the, the, the faith that she had in her husband to trust him to lead their family into the wilderness with no security. <laughs> I mean, think about those times where like people were pillaged at, at random. And they went out and risked their, their families, their lives in a very reckless way because he believed God. You know, we can, we're going to go through a lot of these kinds of stories, but the story that we're going to talk about today is about uh, three young men in the book of Daniel. It's a really popular story. It's about three friends of a young man named Daniel, wrote the book of Daniel, 
And his three friends uh, are around the age of teenagers. Some, some theologians say around 18 or so, uh, more or less. So we can understand they're, they're young guys. And Israel at the time was captured and held captive and led away uh, as captives by the nation of Babylon. And at the time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. And we're going to just kind of pick up in chapter 3 of this story, in verses, starting in verse 1. And the title of today's message is Take a Bow. Look at your neighbor and say, Take a Bow. Take a Bow. Take a bow. And starting in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers, messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue Keaton Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And just pause right there, a little interesting note. Uh, nine is often uh, referenced as the number of testing in the Bible. So it's kind of interesting that it's 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. Um, moving on. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Let's pray real quick. God, I thank you for this message that you're giving us today. I ask that you speak through me, that it be your words and not mine, that your Holy Spirit would cause us all to have a deepening of our faith, and a compelling to take action for our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So, with this uh, preface of everything going on, I think one thing that we could all agree on is that it's times like these that we find the most opportunity to make some reasonable excuses. Some reasonable excuses. And what I mean by that is... We look for opportunities to make ourselves special. We look for the opportunities to excuse ourselves from the mass majority. And I want you to think about the last time that maybe you've made a reasonable excuse. And a lot of times it looks like, yeah, yeah, but for me, though, it's really hard for me to do that. Like, let's take the idea of just reading the Bible. If someone were to say, everyone should read the Bible, but in your mind you think, yeah, I would, but it's just really hard for me to read. See, that's, that's a reasonable excuse. It's a, it's a point where you look at yourself and, and tell yourself, well, I don't have to because of this. And you could have a pretty reasonable argument. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And for this specific situation, it's pretty hardcore. I mean... <laughs> Don't you think God would understand if these three dudes didn't bow down to the statue? I mean, the Bible says to obey the laws of the land, so they're just obeying the law. And see, we, we can even use Scripture to justify ourselves from being excused from 
standing for something or doing something that we know we ought to. Let, let me f- keep reading after this point. It says, But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed- Abednego. Some people say Abednego, but if you look how it's spelled, it says Abednego. <laughs> Whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, see how I switched it up for you, Julian? (laughs) Be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've, I've made when you hear the sound of musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Pretty deep stuff, right? You know, one thing, just starting out, we got these three kids that chose not to bow down to this statue. And then you have some people that tattletailed on them. And one thing you have to understand is that when it comes to faith and you deciding to stand up for your faith or to do the thing that uh, you could have had a reasonable excuse for, if you decide to not back down and to just do what you really know you ought to do, that, that's really what an anointing is. People, the word anointing is, is thrown around in church a lot. And it's usually just described for like a message, like, man, that message was anointed. But anointing means to be set apart. In fact, that's even what holy means. It means different from everything else. And to be anointed, the Bible describes a, a anointing as like anointing oil, like olive oil is a symbol of an anointing. The reason that it's that kind of symbol is because when you put olive oil in water, what does it do? It completely separates itself. And see, these three kids that decided not to bow down, they decided to not make excuses, and they simply stood for what they believed in. That is what produces an anointing. It it really doesn't even take a crazy spiritual experience. I mean, at any point, does this sound spiritual? This is literally a a, a country that is is not spiritual, does not have an acknowledgement of God. And this country is simply just making a crazy kind of dictatorship to where you either bow down or you're killed. It's like communism. And... Not to offend any communists in here. But this is just a a real world situation where these kids decided to stand up for their stupid beliefs instead of follow the government law. And I'm telling you that it's a lot of times when you make steps of faith, they do not feel spiritual at all. It's not every time that you do something in faith and you get goosebumps. Ooh, I felt God now. I feel the joy of the Lord when I gave the last of my money away. No, 
In fact, imagine these kids when the king calls them up in their face. I mean, you ever get called in the principal's office? You ever get pulled over and you didn't even do anything wrong, but you get afraid? Oh, shoot, I don't want to get a ticket. I don't want to get in trouble. Here is this tyrant of a king calls them in in person. And Nebuchadnezzar was known for being very flippant in his decisions. He once was going to kill all of the wise men and magicians just because they couldn't tell him what his dream was. I mean, this is a crazy, psychotic tyrant. And he, ca- he calls them up and says, hey, look, I'm going to reason with you. <laughs> First time the king ever reasons with anyone. Say, hey, I'm going to give you one more chance. He's ready to kill anybody on spot. But for them, he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. You can bow down to this statue still and you will not be burned alive. All right, I'm, reason- I'm being reasonable with you. And imagine what it felt like for them just on the walk to the king. Imagine all the fear and anxiety. I mean, you get anxiety just going for church to the, for the first time. Trying out a new church, you're like, oh man, I don't know anyone. Getting called into the king that is known for killing everybody on the spot. Imagine all the anxiety and fear. See, one thing that you have to understand is when you decide to, to walk in your faith, In those tough decisions, that's what produces an anointing. That's what separates you from the crowd. And when you have that anointing, an anointing always agitates anybody around. Those are all A's, by the way. Anointing agitates anybody around. (laughs) Because once you get an anointing, you get an A plus with God, right? I'm just making stuff up. But... You got to understand that the minute you decide to do something in faith, people are going to be irritated. Even in a church, if if you've ever been in a situation like this to where you start to make extra steps of your faith and you start really like pressing in a little bit more than your average Christian, you can even notice that those you were comfortable with before somehow feel agitated with you after. There was a moment where I was in a ministry internship and we did in this internship a 21 day fast at the beginning of the year. And it was like a, kind of a basic fast, like you just don't eat lunch, wait till dinner. And every, all the interns were doing that fast. Well, for me, I was like, man, this is going to be the only year that I'm in this, this kind of ministry internship. And I really want to get the most out of this year. I really want to press into God because I had just given my life to Christ like a year before and I was really zealous. I was really passionate and I wanted to know God at a deeper level. And so I decided to do a really dumb thing. I decided within this 21 day fast, I'm going to do an extra mile fast for seven days. I'm not going to eat anything except juice, which isn't eating for those of (laughs) y'all don't know. And I did this extra part of the fast within a ministry internship, an internship where all different kids went to in order to pursue God, right? And I ended up doing this fast with two of my other friends. It was like our secret pact, you know? We even cut ourselves and shook hands with blood. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but we did this extra fast and... We still had to, the reason it was really dumb is because we still had to do our daily duties. We had to move chairs. We had to do physical laborist stuff to set up for services. 
And it was we uh, it was really reckless to do a do a fast like that when we're still doing laborious things. I mean, what if I pass out? Isn't that the kind of excuses we make? Well, what if, I have work to do. I can't do this kind of fast because we have extra work to do. See, we, we find any little reason to excuse ourselves. And even in this, this, this pursuit of God, I had the word got out that, that me and my friends were doing this additional fast. And no lie, some kids got really pissed off. <laughs> there was a kid that told me, we're supposed to be following everybody else's fast. You shouldn't be doing an extra one. <laughs> like it mattered. <laughs> like they're going to be mad. <laughs> They're agitated that we were doing something extra than ordinary. And even within spiritual people, the more that you grow in your relationship with God, the more that you aggressively pursue a reckless faith, it's going to agitate even the spiritual people around you. Even people that go to church will tell you, you don't have to go to church like that. You don't have to be that aggressive. You can just like, and like go when you can. And people will try to even put on their excuses because it, it, it's aggravating when somebody jumps ahead. You ever heard a story of crabs in a bucket? See, it's an interesting scenario that when you, cap, when you uh, capture crabs, uh, talking about the actual uh, animal, not the STD. Um, when, when you get uh, a bucket and fill them with crabs, that whenever one tries to crawl out, the other ones will actually bring it back down. The moment that any one of the crabs tries to crawl out, they're constantly being brought back down by those around them. And a lot, it's a perfect illustration for what life is like. The moment that you, even in church, you try to do something more, other people will try to bring you down. You notice, even when you get like something of, like a new car, people are excited for you, but they're just like, oh, really? Like, how much were the payments on that? How'd you, how could you afford that? <laughs> it's almost like you could see it in their eyes that they're jealous that you got a car and they don't. <laughs> even people, your own friends. And so... Here in this scenario, we see that people are agitated. And we also see that when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the devil, temptation, or fear, it will always give you, uh, it will always ask you twice. <laughs> the devil will always ask, ask you twice. Temptation will always ask you twice. Fear will always ask you twice. The moment you decide to do something great, the moment that you decide to do something in faith, doubt is going to ask you more than once, are you sure about this? Are you sure? Did God really tell you to do that? I don't know. Temptation will ask you more than once. No, I'm going to refuse. You go around the corner thinking, man, I got victory right there. And then the very next day is like, hey, Offer still stands. See, just like how Nebuchadnezzar makes a special opportunity for them to get a second chance, out of all the 
the times he wouldn't give anybody a second chance. It's the devil and the temptation and the fear that wants to give you one more chance to cave in, to bow down. And so I want you to ask yourselves, what excuses have I been making that may even be reasonable that I should put down and put aside so I can stop bowing down or lowering myself when I could stand for something greater? When you do something like that, when you decide to put away these reasonable excuses, you're going to get a consuming passion. Look at your neighbor and say, consuming passion. See, when I think about that, that phrase in church, I think like, man, I'm fired up. I feel so excited. That's what it means, right? Let's keep reading. It says in chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Man, that's like a really bold statement that they're making to the king that is so irrational. And... What, what I want to just point out here is that your decisions that you make, especially in your faith, you, you got to commit to those decisions. You have to carve them on the inside of your heart to where they're not erasable. I mean, to where they have so much boldness that right here, they're willing to die. They still have faith to believe that God will save them. But, this, but they literally are like, well... We definitely believe that God is powerful enough to save us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, our faith will still stand. If God doesn't save us this way, I believe that it will still mean something in another way. And I want to point out that our faith has to be set in stone, but we also have to be flexible of what we think the purpose of it is. See, right here, their faith is so strong and set in stone, but there are in a sense, negotiable or flexible, what they believe God will use it for. Say, God will either use it to glorify himself by saving us from your hand from the fire, or if we die, God will use, use this, our martyrship, as a way, as a testimony of what real faith looks like, and what it should go through in the future. They're saying either way, we just know that this is what we need to do, and whatever happens, that's up to God. A lot of times when we step in faith, we only have one idea of the way that it's going to work out. If you've ever uh, believed in faith, I feel like it's kind of the funniest things that we believe in faith for is like for, for God to pay our bills. <laughs> it's like when you imagine it, sometimes you imagine it just as like a check that ends up in your bank account. <laughs> it's like that's the way I imagine God to, to, for some random stranger to be like, whoa, oh my gosh, is your name Homer? God just spoke to me right now to give you $1,000 cash. <laughs> Can you just take it? I need to get it off my hands. It's like fire in my hands. Here you go. That's the way I would imagine it to be. That only makes sense, right? But sometimes those, those actions of faith look like an opportunity. 
Maybe it's all of a sudden you get a random call like, hey, we have a, an extra spot that we need someone to help work. It's really ugly work. It's shoveling manure, but you'll get paid uh, $1,000 by the end of it. Um, you want to do it? And it's like, no. Most of the time we say, no, I'm already believing God to provide that for me. <laughs> it's like a story of, some of y'all have probably heard it before. I think it's in the pursuit of happiness. That a man is drowning in the ocean and a boat comes by. It says, hey, do you need some help? He says, no, God will save me. So, all right, the boat leaves. Another boat comes by, even bigger. Say, hey, do you need some hope? Uh, some help? <laughs> so, no, God will save me. And another boat comes by, even bigger. Say, hey, man, do, do you need some help? No, God will save me. The man drowns, goes up to God and says, God, why didn't you save me? God says, I sent three big boats to you, dummy. <laughs> we need to be flexible with our faith outcome. You need to be solid in our faith stance, flexible in the outcome. It goes, the, the story goes on. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Parents know what that looks like. <laughs> it means when you're so mad at your kids, you make the weirdest feel. <laughs> says, distorted with rage, he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into a blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, emotional decision, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. A couple things to point out here is that when you make those emotional decisions, you end up doing stuff that's unnecessary. Like heating a fire, a fire, seven times hotter for, it, for something that's going to kill them no matter what. It's like shoot them in the head three times. It, it's an unnecessary thing. And because of his emotional decisions, it even hurt the people of his kingdom. It hurt the very people that, he was, that were in support of him. And that's what happens when we make emotional decisions. But more importantly, the, what we're learning in this story is what a consuming passion looks like. See, a lot of times we feel like a passion is so liberating, so freeing, like, oh man, I'm just so passionate about God. I feel like I can do anything. But see, this, is, this really shows you what your passion leads you to. <laughs> Being tied up to where you can't do anything else but the dictations of what other people say. You know, his, their faith literally put them in a spot to where they had no choice. See, that's what faith really is. is doing something without plan Bs. Where you're saying, well, this is going to just have to work or I'm going to die. <laughs> and, and just to share like an illustration for myself, like when God told us, to move here, to start this church. At first, I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, I could always just go and do something else. So I thought. But there's a point in your faith where when you commit to it, it, 
it's like with the church, it's grown to a point where it's like, man, I, it, it grew to a point where it's like, I can't really leave these people high and dry, but it's not necessarily supporting me either. And I'm in this weird spot of transition where I'm, I have my hands tied and I can't leave. And it feels, it almost feels like I can't stay either. I just have to see what happens and see in your faith. It's a lot like that to where you commit to it and you think, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I might be able to get out of it. But real faith, when you follow through with it, it ties you up and throws you through the, the trials and fires of life, testing your faith. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I cannot even breathe. I cannot believe what I'm going through. When I thought I was going to step in faith, I never thought it was going to be like this. See, that's really what having that passion looks like, is it consumes everything about your life. It, everything about you turns into that passion. You know, even for, um, for this church, as an example, I invite everybody and their mother to church. <laughs> I, I, for my job, I go door-to-door selling home security. That's how I get paid. And it... If I don't sell something, I, I always end up inviting them to church anyway. <laughs> See how even in my secular job, my passion is showing through. It's where I, I'm more focused about inviting someone to church than getting my paycheck. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And you guys, you, you have passions in your life. And you know someone's passion because it consumes every part of their life. Even like a person in physical fitness, it's like everything they do is about physical fitness, going to the gym, eating healthy. It'll make people sick, right? Just being around there. Just, just eat something unhealthy for a change. It agitates people that they're so separated in their passion and what they want. If you've ever met anybody that's really into sales, it'll make you throw up. Because all of their conversation, everything about them is about selling something. It's about the product they're selling. It's like somehow it's going to lead back to that. When me and my wife first met, she was in a, a network marketing company with, with health and fitness. And there'd be times where I, I wanted to throw up because she would just always bring it back to that. Like, yeah, well, if you would take these vitamins, you'd actually not be that tired. I could just come home and be like... Man, what a long day. I'm so tired. Well, if you took these vitamins, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> it agitates people, your passion, but it's shown in every part of your life. And what, what's interesting is that the, the way that faith is, is that it, it's not a casual step of ambition or risk. It's reckless. We imagine faith to be just ambition. This hope to do something great. I'm going to start my business in faith. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what? I really believe that she's the one. He's the one. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to just ask him out in faith because I, I really believe it. See, those are, those are wrong labels of faith. That's ambition. The, the idea of risk is not faith. Like risk is, is good measure. Like, okay, th- there's great risk, 
great reward. Well, faith is past that. Faith is like, no, this is just really dumb. You're relying on an impossible thing. And in our culture, church has made faith to be just like bettering your life. Getting a, a better life, being the best you. That's what faith is about. Dude, I'm sure these guys had no idea. They've never uh, said a line like, I am who the Bible says I am. <laughs> They're probably like, oh, crap. <laughs> I can't believe we're going through this. And I would argue that, that real faith, what it looks like is screaming in your car. <laughs> that's, that's what real faith looks like. It's not this pretty faith like, I'm just believing God's going to come through and I least expect it. No, faith is like screaming in your car at the top of your lungs and contemplating whether or not to drive into a tree. <laughs> it's like a little too personal, right? <laughs> I mean, you guys don't do that? <laughs> and what we can also see is that faith affects the people around us. Just like the simple faith of these three kids, it, their faith ended up being a factor in these soldiers being affected by the flames. A lot of times we think that faith is something so well-designed, so peachy and, and smooth that we're the only ones that are going to feel it. But I can attest to you that even the step of faith of moving here to start a church has affected my entire family. (laughs) When Abraham moved uh, and left everything behind and took his wife, his family with him, it affected them. They had to deal with all of the emotions too. And you have to understand that faith, being as reckless as it is, to expect that everyone's going to just be okay with it is, is just a fantasy. It, life is not like that. And you got to just know that faith is something so reckless and, and can even be uh, damaging to those around you because of how great that faith is. There's a book called Tortured for Christ. And it talks about all these martyrs that were willing to die for the name of Jesus. There's one scenario uh, with communist Russia imprisoned this dude, imprisoned his son, and all they had to do was deny Jesus, renounce his name. And they would torture his son in front of him, trying to get him to just deny the name of Jesus, to renounce it. And back and forth, and because of their faith, somebody else was hurt. You know, again, I'm I'm not saying that our country is going down that path or anything. But where, where in the Bible is faith pretty? Yet that's what we're taught in church. That faith is just this pretty thing that makes your life better. It, faith can be horrifying. It... It's scary. And that kind of passion, when we talk about passion consuming you, it burns. Y'all dig what I'm saying? 
let's, let's finish this off. It's like, man, what is Homer's problem here? <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be an encouraging message. Let's, let's go to the last point here, which is tested faith. You go through all the fires. Now the three kids are burned alive, right? Let's continue in this story. Tested faith. It says, but suddenly... Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Like, how's that a number to forget? Was it three or four? That's where we find the first case of dyslexia. (laughs) Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. See, in the midst of those, those fiery passions, being tied up, screaming in your car, we see in this analogy that God will be with you. Then, and think about this situation. This is not a normal situation. <laughs> Three kids walking around. It says that they're walking around in the fire. Before, it was something that they would want to run away from. But now they're just walking in the midst of it like it's normal. See, that's what walking in faith will do in your life. Is that it will cause something that you used to be afraid of to be normal to you. Before, it was terrifying to really go through with it. But now, it's ordinary stuff. You're looking at your friends like, oh, you're still scared of the fire? Well, that's nothing. Look, we've been in here. And God will give you a peace, a, a supernatural peace that makes you conditioned as normal in the midst of chaos and the flames of this life. To where something terrifying is not really terrifying anymore. And the story goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out! Come out here! So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, and governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. This is a a really peculiar scenario. Before, they felt like they were bound and held up. They were immobile in their decisions of their faith. But what happens, there's a point in the fire. There's a point in the fear where you finally break through to that other side. And those things that bound you up before, that chained you, that immobilized you, disintegrate disappear and that freedom that you believed at the beginning was what you were going to walk into you end up walking into it but it's not before being tested in that fire and thinking that you're going to be bound up forever there is a breakthrough moment there is a moment where you're like wow i would have never seen this happen if i didn't trust god I would have never made it out to this other side if I didn't believe God would show up. If I didn't act in faith, 
I wouldn't be where I am today. And look at the liberty that they have to where before they were just thrown by other people into this fire. But now they're literally looking at the fire. Imagine what it would be like being in the midst of a fire. I mean, think about how they were walking around and looking at the fire in a way that nobody else could possibly look at it. See, that's what acting in faith does is it gives you a perspective that nobody else can get. And it says that they didn't even smell like smoke. You ever heard of any success story? I, I always, I find it delightful when I hear about like uh, church pastors that are like successful now because they talk about when before they were, when they first started their church, how they were super broke. And I'm like, oh, okay, so that's normal. <laughs> that's encouraging. And they talk about how much faith it took to believe for the next day. And, but now it's like we all criticize them for the, how big their house is, while before they were struggling just to go to the grocery store. I, I can understand why they would want a big house after that. Being so broke and going day after day of just doing what you believe in and not really seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And when you see them now, you don't even smell the smoke of their past. You don't even smell the struggle that they went through. You just see them for what they are now. It's the same way when you see like people of faith, someone that you knew in, in high school or something, and you see that they gave their life to Christ, and they're not even recognizable from where they've been. They look like completely different people. They talk like completely different people. They don't even smell like the sin that they were in. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And see, when gold is purified, the Bible describes that our faith is like gold. That's how valuable it is to God. And it says that our faith is like gold that's purified, purified in testings of this world. And in order to purify gold, you know how it's done? You put it through a fire and you leave it in there for it to get hot enough to where all of the impurities and minerals that are not of gold rise to the top. And then you wipe that gold, the top of it, with a piece of wood, a wooden stick. And the wood uh, takes away all the impurities. It wipes it off to where the metal stays, but all the impurities stick to the wood. It's a very interesting analogy that God gives about gold. And see, when that gold is at the end of its product, you don't, rec- you don't think about, yeah, but remember how dirty that gold was before? You don't think, man, but remember how much ugly stuff came out of that gold when we put it through the fire? No, at the end, you just see, wow, this is a beautiful gold ring. This is a beautiful gold necklace. This gold is so beautiful and pure. Was it was the highest carat of gold? 24? Wow, 24 carat gold. This is amazing. And you don't even think about how much fire it had to go through. And the interesting thing about that scenario is that it's a perfect analogy of what Jesus is for us. When we go through the fires of this world and the testings of our faith, it's the ugliest parts of us that come up. I can honestly say that I have never screamed in my car or punched the steering wheel as much as I have since I became a church planter. 
since I became a pastor. The ugliest parts of me have, have risen up. And at first glance, we think, man, I'm not as good as I thought. But see, that, that wooden stick that rushes over us, that's the cross. And Jesus has all of our impurities cling to him. Our sin clings to him so that we could be made right. The story goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except for their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, sound familiar, speak a word against of God, the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. It's interesting that when we stand for our faith without excuses, it turns the very, feel, the very fears that were against us into the very things that support us. The same decree was made to capture them, to intimidate them, to destroy them. And it's the same kind of decree that ends up lifting up the very thing that they stand for. Have you ever noticed the things that you've overcome in your past has made you the person you are today? A lot of times we like to idealize that, you know, I, wanna, I, I do regret a lot of the things that I've done in my life. I regret the people that I've hurt, that I've affected in, in a negative way. But at the same time, I'm grateful that I have experienced those painful moments because it makes me who I am today. And in the same way here, the, the very fires that these kids went through end up being the, the supports for their future. So do not look at your past or your struggles or your pain as something to disown. They, they will make you stronger in the future. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And it says here that at the very end, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. And this is usually what we take away, the very end. That we're going to be elevated and blessed not to stress. Too blessed not to stress. We ignore the intense chaos that these kids just endured and end thinking that faith is a, an easy thing. It's so easy. This, this whole story, think about how, how, how intricate, how emotional this story is. And it was in one chapter. We read over that like nothing. Think, oh man, that was crazy. But when you, we, you just take away the end thought like, oh, so faith is good. Okay. And you ignore all the pain, all the chaos, all the anxiety, all the fear that their faith required. You're going to be continually disappointed in your faith. I spoke at a high school uh, this last week on Wednesday, partnered with YFC, Youth for Christ, amazing organization in our community that reaches students. And I got the opportunity to speak at this high school. And I asked kids in these, in these lunch periods, what is one thing 
about your faith that you can stand on and that the Bible even tells you that if this were not true, that all of our faith would be worthless and meaningless. And not one single kid could answer. (laughs) Not one single kid in this Christian club of Christian kids knew what was meaningful about their faith. They didn't know why they believed what they believed. And I believe that the reason that most people abandon their faith is because they imagine faith to be a lot easier than what the Bible describes it as. We imagine faith to just be ambition and risk. You believe in God because God is good and you want your life to be good, so you need more of a good God. The Bible doesn't, doesn't really describe God like that at all. And we will continually be disappointed and wedged farther away from God if we continue to look at our faith as just a selfish ambition gain. Faith is reckless. It's endangering. And the moment we decide to stop putting excuses of why we can't act in real faith, when we finally do that, we'll be able to experience the true glory of God. I mean, this God is so powerful and so meaningful and so, so amazing. And we wonder, why don't we see the miracles of the Bible? Why don't we see this God that's in the Bible that's so powerful? Why don't we see him here on earth like they did back then? We don't act in faith like that. We don't do anything too great. We may do something good, but we don't do anything necessarily great because that requires a really great faith. And we like to keep our, our excuses and our plan B's in our back pocket so that we could always have a reason of why we didn't do something. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you're ready to take faith in the real way to put your trust in the God that can save you from a fire, that not only will save you from that fire as you're in it, but he's going to be with you in that fire. If you're ready to put your trust in this kind of God, live out this kind of faith, with every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. So if you rose your hand, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And if you've already given your life to Christ and dedicated to him, I want you to pray it again as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to put my faith in you. The real faith, the raw faith, the reckless faith. I choose to believe in you. Because I believe you rose from the dead after dying on the cross for my sins. I trust you, Jesus, to walk in the flames with me, to help me. I love you, Lord. And I believe that you love me more. In Jesus' name.
Amen.